Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hi, and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Sue McDougall, and I'm so excited to be here. We've got a fantastic show for you this morning, as well as the opportunity for you to ask any questions you like. So just add them to the comment section, and as we go along, we'll be able to answer them for you. There is so much happening in the garden at this time of the year, and it's just spring, no matter where you are in Australia. I hope the weather has been kind to you, but also more importantly, kind to your garden. Love the Garden will show us today about some tips on potting mix and we know how important potting mix is and you wouldn't believe how much work goes into designing the best potting mix for your garden to get the best out of your plants. Also, I'm just passionate about all plants. There's not many I like and I want to show you some of my fantastic plants that just thrive, do really well and don't have very much care at all. Looking forward to it very much. Hopefully we can share some information with you on the Garden Gurus Live that you'll be able to take out and share with anyone else around. Look forward to it very much and this is all about questions in your garden. What's actually happening? And we head all around Australia. To start off, we're going to head to Melbourne from uh, Melbourne Vera, talking about a potted lemon tree and it's producing little fruit. And it's actually a timely reminder what we do with lemon trees at this time of the year. What's the best fertilizer to use? Vera is looking for, is it too late to fertilize? never too late to fertilize a lemon tree. And as a general guide, Vera, you fertilize lemons every month from August to May. A little bit is more regularly, is better than all at once than not at all. And you find if you've got too many fruit and the fruit are very small, if you pin, well, when I say thin out, at least half of those at this time of the year, your fruit will end up much larger and juicier. I always say every house needs a lemon tree and it's always controlled release fertilizer is absolutely fantastic when coming to put fertilizer on pots because you can't burn a citrus tree when you put controlled release fertilizer on. So all those lemon trees, all those citrus trees out there, now's the time. Spring, they're warming up, they're starting to flower and I'm going to feature one of my favorite favorite citrus trees. It's actually a lemonade tree a little bit later on. So don't forget, keep watching. Also, we have another question from Marshall. He's cut his star jasmine back to Bearwood a few months ago, but nothing's happening. It hasn't come back yet. Is it ever going to come back to flower? 
Well, Marshall, I would say that your star jasmine, you can't kill them, really. They just take a long time to recover. And it's a really good reminder, probably not the best time to prune anything back is in the winter because things slow down. Most plants slow down. As a general guide, when you're planting or pruning anything, I should say, always prune after they've finished flowering. And that way, they've got that really active growth phase. But yes, it will come back to flower. It will shoot away. And as the weather warms up now, just over the next couple of weeks, you've probably really noticed it. It has made a big difference. It will shoot away. As it shoots away, nip the tips out and let it branch out. And heading back to Victoria, can I transplant leucodendrons, Jonathan asks. Any tips on pruning and what would be great to get them growing? Well, leucodendrons don't, unfortunately, Jonathan, transplant so brilliantly at all. Enjoy it where it is. Leucodendrons are the proteaceae family. So all those plants like grevilleas, hakeas, and banksias, leucodendrons, proteas, are all, all belong to the same family they develop these amazing proteoid roots. These roots are specialised to get the nutrients out of the soil. But on top of that, they don't transplant very well at all. So pruning definitely. And with leucodendrons, prune as the flowers are coming up. So if you can prune them as they're looking beautiful, take them inside, use them as a vase plant, then wherever there's a leaf, there's a dormant bud and they'll shoot away absolutely brilliantly. And as a general guide, you're looking at maybe about 30 centimetres or about a third um, off the plant, but then you can just enjoy the amazing cut flowers at the same time. I would say leucodendrons for a hot, sunny position, virtually in any part of the gardens in Australia, they are fantastic. So if you've never grown them before, check them out because I'm sure you'll be happy with them. And even in a terracotta pot, they'll do absolutely brilliantly in hot, hot weather, terracotta pot. They absolutely love it. From Jamie, Jamie, I'm not sure where you are, but can you throw flowering seeds into areas which are already mulched with bark and expect them to grow? Depends actually, Jamie, what it is. If you're growing something like Everlastings, the seed tends to make its way through the mulch and definitely it will germinate through. But often the mulch, by the time, the mulch is 10 centimetres deep, by the time the seeds get to the level and the mulch has covered over the plant to the soil level, often we don't get them to germinate. So the trick to doing something like that is to pull the mulch away Prepare the soil so you'll create little dinner plate size bare spaces in the garden. And the trick is to then dig that over, create a seed bed and have clumps of flowers rather than uh, you're having just spread them around and expect them to grow. Seeds at this time of the year often recommend planting seedlings because that's why you can get a head start on the garden, particularly in an area if it's really hot, you expect to have hot temperatures you clear the soil away, plant your seedlings, and then you can protect those seedlings from mulch. And probably my big tip, if you live in an area at the moment that is suffering quite hot weather or over the next few weeks you'll have hot weather, break a branch off a tree. If you're planting seedlings, just break a branch off a tree and stab in next to the tree. And you'll find if you stab in next to the tree, um, that will shade the seedling while it's getting established. Put the mulch back back around the plant and it will keep that soil level super cool and get them growing. There is nothing like being able to germinate some seeds in the garden. So Jamie, hope that helps. 
March next year and put in your diary, in your calendar, that's when we plant everlasting seeds. Now we've got a live question from Jenny. When is the best time to put down grass in the Mallee area? Jenny, if you're putting down a roll-on turf throughout the, I know there's some pretty extreme areas being, stream heat, I should say, temperatures being suffered in that area at different times of the year, but while the active growth phase is happening. So if you're putting down grasses roll-on turf and you're thinking about using a roll-on turf, make sure you improve the soil. There's some water holding capacity in the soil and you've got some food, but any time throughout the growing season, as long as you can keep the water up to it. Through winter, it's a bit tricky. Sometimes if you're growing seed, yes, definitely, you can put that in through the winter, but always just at the beginning of spring, you'll get a strong established root. Soil improving is so important to get that stronger established root system growing really well. So enjoy your grass in the Mallee area. Make sure you let us know how it's going, Jenny. And from Bob, a live question. I'm having a problem with a six month old gardenia in a large pot. It's not thriving. It's get plenty of water and fertilizer with essential minerals. The pH is eight. The leaves are green with yellow spots. Can I help? Oh, Bob, I hope I can. I hope I can help for you. Now, pH um, at eight for a gardenia, these plants are acid-loving plants. And these, are the, these um, really require a potting mix that's formulated especially for azaleas and camellias. And you'll find pH eight is very alkaline. What that's doing in a pot is tying up those nutrients that are then not available to the plant. So I would be thinking if it's in a pot for six months, it won't be thriving. Another thing is the iron will be locked away in that plant to get it to grow. And you'll find that that particular plant, if it's only been there for six months, zip down to your local garden centre and get some specialised potting mix for camellias and azaleas. Now also, Bob, keep listening. One most important thing, because we've got Greg Neighbour from Love the Garden Online. Now, Greg, I know, is an absolute specialist in potting mixes. What he doesn't know about potting mixes is definitely not worth knowing. And we're, well, he's returning guest today. And welcome to Garden Gurus Live, Greg. If you can find, well, Greg, we just actually wait for Greg. Greg, I know, has been formulating potting mixes. Now, I might put words in his mouth um, when I say this, but I would say probably 30 years, but I'm sure when we get him online, he can correct us with that. He's very involved in developing and formulating potting mixes. Most important to have the right potting mix. We put a $100 plant in a potting mix and when we put that, put that plant in a um, potting mix and it doesn't grow, we usually blame the plant and if we can blame the plant, unfortunately, sometimes it's a potting mix and that's why it's so important to have that potting mix. We welcome Greg Neighbour from Love the Garden. Now, Greg, um, before I wanted to talk to you, I was talking earlier about the importance of potting mixes. I know you've been um, technical manager or technical director of Evergreen garden care, but you've been involved in potting mix formulation for, I said earlier, 30 years, but is it that long? Well, unfortunately, Sue, it's probably longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, um, the company uh, originally was selling specifically fertilizers and it was to your very point that you made earlier, 
um, often the potting mix that's the problem in the in the performance of the product and not the fertilizer as such. So we basically had to become experts in potting mixes so as to be able to remove that as the uh, the problem and have the fertilizers perform as they should be. Yeah, that's so important. And you're, um, we, we wanted to talk about performance natural potting mix, but one thing I want to talk to you about first is that you represent the fertilizers, the potting mix, but under a brand or a name called Love the Garden. Is that right? Can you explain that so people can understand you know, where we're coming from and your technical expertise is added to that? Um, a lot of the garden is uh, is really our uh, face to the public in in that we the website is is named love the garden it's a um, a process whereas uh, Scotts is is a brand of ours um, evergreen is the overarching company so evergreen markets Scots and communicates through Love the Garden. Yeah, and we've seen that. That's fantastic. So if you do want some information there, you know the man behind it, Greg Neighbour. He does know. He's been in the industry for longer than <laughs> longer than 30 years. I know. Once we start to see the next trends come through, Greg, is when we know that we've been there long enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And hopefully we're, we're ahead of that trend in that uh, that trend as far as natural, organic sort of uh, production, sustainability within all of our processes is is definitely something we're pioneering at the moment. Yeah, that is so important, having a natural product. And so while we're on natural products and sustainable, we talk about potting mixes a lot. Can you balance natural products and sustainable products with a potting mix? Because it's actually all has to be made from raw ingredients, doesn't it? Uh, exactly. And so you know, Australia, Europe, Europe and the US have a lot of uh, peat resources and they've developed most of their potting mixes on the basis of, uh, of peat because it's available. We don't have peat in Australia. The last uh, peat bog in Australia, I think, that was operational was closed in the uh, Sydney Olympics uh, because there was a, a green and gold frog found in the bog. So, ah. so uh, anything <laughs> With 2,000 on it by any chance, and, yeah. That's right. Um, so we uh, in Australia have developed a, a growing media that's now, you know, being interested is interested around the world in using uh, sustainable resources, which is a, a byproduct of the building industry, being the bark on the outside of the pine trees that are processed for, for timber. And that bark, of course, is a sustainable resource. They're they're all from um, sustainable. Uh, uh, replant forests. And do you think this actually we lead the world, Australia leads the world because we don't have the raw resources like peat and um, you know we're not ruining the environment for potting mixes? Uh, um, absolutely. Um, you know I've been working with our European partners for I don't know probably eight years now uh, to help them develop similar techniques where um, peat in, in Europe and the UK is, is being challenged from an environmental point of view so the technology developed here by um, uh, luminaries such as uh, Kevin Hendrick and, uh, and Dave Nichols um, were uh, really demonstrating how you can produce a, a fabulous potting mix and grow a great plant without peat. So we're kind of exporting that expertise around the world. Yeah, something I know we have led the world in and we are, we were resourceful in Australia, I would say. I'd put that down to that, Greg. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about today and something so important, I know how much work and how much investment goes into developing the Australian standards and actually getting products, these soilless mediums, we call them soilless mediums, 
to comply with Australian standards because it's it's absolutely crucial to have standards for a potting mix so the the consumer knows or our gardeners know exactly what we're getting but there are there are I want to talk to you about that and also does does the net performance naturals potting mix comply with Australian standards and is it premium or what's the difference with that? Okay, um, first, <clears throat> the Performance Natural complies with the uh, premium red tick standard. The standards were developed simply because uh, with so many different uh, raw materials that were being supplied many years ago, it was clear that there was no way of really ensuring that the consumer was going to have uh, a, a potting mix that at least had a minimum standard of quality. And that minimum standard of quality says that you should be able to grow any plant for a three-month period with the fertilisers that are, or one month, in fact, in uh, in red tick, uh, with the fertilisers that are delivered with the bag, uh, and all of the physical characteristics, the air fill porosity, the water holding capacity, etc., are all adequate to be successful with with the potting mix. Uh, the difference with the black tick is that. Uh, red tick has very, very tight standards on both physical and chemical attributes, known then to reduce uh, the outcome required, whereas black tick has a much broader, let's say, specification set and not necessarily any fertiliser. So a black tick, you would want to fertilise immediately once you use it, whereas a red tick, you won't have to for a period of time. Yeah, and that's so important, having enough fertiliser for those plants. Also, the fertilisers that are in this potting mix are the separate performance natural fertilisers that you can... So you can be sure you're getting the right fertilisers for your garden, but also these are used in the potting mix. Is, am I right in saying that? <laughs> Absolutely. And and that's, you know, the key, that's, uh, the key that enabled me to, or us to be able to meet the challenge. And the challenge was... Can we have natural, 100% natural products and perform as well as a non-natural product that's, that's now in the market? And so for the last three years, four years, we've been developing uh, these fertilizer technologies that mimic, let's say, uh, our standard fertilizers, even to an extent, Osmocote. So it needs to have a slow release component. It needs to have a fast upfront release so as to the plant to react quickly to the to the fertilizer, uh, and for that to be done in with completely natural uh, materials. And that natural <laughs> materials is so important. Check them out in your garden centre. But I wanted to also ask you about: uh, Is Performance Naturals not certified at organic? Or, because often there's a bit of a um, confusion between what's natural and what's not organic, or does it have to be certified to be used? as an organic product? Um, it's interesting because <clears throat> Europe, US and Australia have different interpretations of what natural and organic are. <clears throat> In Australia, you can be certified organic, but not all of the materials that are in that are natural. Uh, and that's recognising the fact that it's difficult and or very expensive to uh, include natural, uh, all, all materials to be natural uh, for broad acre organic farming processes and techniques. So they accept what they call um, <clears throat> allowed inputs and those allowed inputs to organic certification are not necessarily or likely to be natural. Whereas what we've done is approached it from 
what the ACCC uh, determines and specifies as something that you can call natural, which is in fact a much more strict uh, criteria to meet so as to call your product natural. And so all of our materials in this are, are naturally sourced. That is fantastic to hear. So you can be rest assured that you're getting naturally sourced product mix. What about packaging, Greg? That's something that packaging, packaging conveyancing um, is an issue. And I know in our industry, we're always got plastic bags or pots. So what can we do about packaging of potting mix? Well, um, the, the packaging, and this is all part of the drive of the business to, um, to be able to meet its sustainability challenges, in fact, globally, so uh, all of our packaging in growing media and increasingly in, uh, in our other products, growing media is now 50% recycled material, post-consumer recycle, which is a great achievement. Uh, Europe and the rest of the world is a little ahead of us in regard to be able to access these materials, but we've pushed our um, suppliers to meet that challenge, which they have. Second, we also, as you'll note on the bag, see that it's able to be put into the red cycle flexible packaging recycle program. So outside Woolworths, Coles, etc., you'll see large bags where plastic bags, flexible plastic bags can be put. These, uh, our growing media bags are approved to be able to put into that as a recycle resource. I absolutely love that red recycle, red cycle project. It comes back as bollards or garden furniture. It is absolutely fantastic. If you're not on top of it or you haven't used it, Make sure you remember anything that can crunch up, Greg, can go into, right. the, into the red cycle and it's something I'm just absolutely passionate. So great to hear and it's a great reminder for our gardeners that potting mix bags are also part of that. Greg, thanks so much for your time. So lovely to catch up with you again. Good and ho you. hopefully it's not the same time between catch-ups again. Look forward to that very much. Indeed. Next time, sir. Take care. That was... Greg from Love My Garden, performance natural potting mixes. Check them out. It's nice to be able to have potting mixes that the, all the fertilisers are from natural, um, definitely natural solutions and sources. And don't forget that packaging can be recycled as well, any potting mix bag. Check out Red Cycle at your local supermarket. Now let's get back to the garden. Don't forget to put your comments in the or your questions in the comment section. And even if we don't get them to get to them today, I'm sure we'll be able to answer them through the week. From Lavina, I recently pruned my roses, and since doing this, there's a watery substance coming out of the cutting. It dries to a white colour. I've given them a quarter of a cup of rose fertiliser. Lavina, that's just because they're pruned a bit late. The sap's flowing and it's telling me or showing us that the sap's flowing within the plant. And if that sap's flowing within the plant, it's just a little bit early. There's a very narrow window of when roses are dormant and you might find that it's not the end of the world. It dries, it's clear. What you may find is you'll get a little bit of dieback and a little bit of canker from those uh, roses, but you'll find particularly big cuts, seal them immediately. You can seal them with a steri prune. It's called steri prune. It's a bitumen-based fungicide sealer, or after 24 hours, it does definitely stop but it's a reminder to prune them a little bit earlier. And that's a little bit dependent on the weather, depending if it's a warm, warm winter 
or a um, late winter, but definitely not the end of the world and it won't hurt your roses at all. You might get a little bit of dieback that you can cut back or canker that you can cut back later on. Let's head to, I hope the roses turn out beautiful this spring. Let's head to Ebane, dahlias. Let's mention dahlias. What should we do to prepare the soil from Ebane? Dahlias are oh, my favorite, one of my favorite plants. They are a um, tuber. They, if you've never grown dahlias before, get onto them because it's the time of the year to plant dahlias. And I know Garden Gurus um, has some fantastic features coming up on different bulbs and different tubers and summer bulbs. So check them out, keep listening and keep watching. Now, preparing the soil, depending where you live and depending how beautiful, crumbly and rich the soil is. Lots of organic matter. Dahlias need a cool root zone and they'll grow virtually in fairly heavy clay soil to sand, but make sure there's something that holds that moisture in the soil, particularly over summer, because dahlias are summer flowering plants. They do particularly well. One problem they get is powdery mildew. So in high humid areas, not so suited for those, but everywhere else, they'll just absolutely thrive. Enjoy them. There's little dwarf ones that you can get to 50 centimetres high, or some plants that will get up to one and a half metres high and a gorgeous, cut flower. Just enjoy Ebane. Look forward to that very much. Now we have Mary in Sydney. I hope Sydney's looking gorgeous today, Mary. What can I do to protect my privacy in my backyard? I have limited space and will require a fast growing plant without the need for regular pruning. Oh, wouldn't we all love that fast growing overnight growing plant that we don't have to prune a lot. Check out in Sydney, we talk often about Mariah, a brilliant plant, grows, absolutely thrives. Orange jessamine is a really good one. Doesn't have to um, grow very, well, it grows very vigorously, particularly in the Sydney climate and it doesn't, it seems compact and bushy, but it'll get up to about two and a half metres high and thrive and bushy and also has the added bonus of perfume as well, Mary. Another lemon tree question, George, why is my lime tree and lemon tree losing all their leaves? They're in pots. George, one thing, well, one of the things that can happen on the indicator, and I'd love to ask you if you've fertilized them regularly with citrus fertilizer, that can be the tail sign, the telltale sign, I should say, of over fertilizing. Some fertilizers, particularly citrus fertilizers, shouldn't be used in pots. And you find it's a first sign of stress. If there's a lot of fruit on the plant, you might say it's holding onto the fruit and um, dropping its leaves in the meantime. But if there's not a lot of fruit on and it's just, you've just suddenly fed it and it's dropping its leaves, that's an indicator, unfortunately, that it might be over fertilized. Always fertilize citrus trees with controlled release fertilizer or a liquid fertilizer. Now, how do we fix it? If it has been over fertilized, get rid of that fertilizer, sort of scrape that out and wash that through the pot, but also give it a light trim. And if you can trim it back lightly, it'll shoot away beautifully. And then a liquid fertilizer, just a weak solution of liquid fertilizer over the foliage will make a difference and encourage beautiful new growth on it. If there's a lot of fruit, it might be worth definitely removing the fruit as well at the moment. The plant's trying to hold on to fruit, trying to grow, as well as trying to flower. It's actually flowering time for citrus um, right at the moment. And they've just got so much going on. So the first thing, the other thing that can happen if they're waterlogged um, just this time of the year 
if you can make sure the drainage on the pot is absolutely perfect, uh, you'll find that they won't be waterlogging. So if there's a saucer underneath it, definitely remove that as well. Enjoy. Probably one of the lemon trees um, is my favourite. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Started off the first of the show with every house needs a lemon tree. I think they do, but also every house needs a lemon myrtle tree. Lemon myrtle is one of my favourite, favourite bush tucker plants. If you've ever grown it before, the plant of the week is Bacchausia citradora. Have you seen it before? Oh, it's native. It's a small tree native to Queensland, and in cooler climates, to get it established, it absolutely hates it. Hates the cold, so it will drop its leaves. There is a problem around at the moment if you've got myrtle rust uh, around. It can't be spread around or grown. But given all that, failing that, it doesn't like the cold. It is worthwhile and it is successful growing it in a pot. The smell of the leaves. Oh, it's absolutely divine. You can make a tea out of it. You can flavour rice with it. So as it grows up, you'll find this beautiful new growth. Just crush the leaves. I just can never get enough of it. But you just pluck the nice fresh leaves. The old leaves tend to get black on the back, don't look so good, and aren't brilliant for growing um, your plants or using your plants in a little bit of of blackening of the leaf. That's not one that I'd use for flavouring rice. But throw the, throw the leaves into whatever you're cooking, absolutely cupcakes or anything uh, in the cooking, it's brilliant. And it's also a small ornamental tree. Mine's up to about four or five metres high at the moment. I live in a cold climate, so it took a long time to get established, but worth it now, worth it when it started to grow up. Persevere, definitely a slow growing, ornamental, edible tree that's absolutely worth it for any garden. And the other plant I've brought in for my garden at the moment, which nobody has seen around for a long time. And it's, it's, oh, it's the most awful looking shrub, I must say. It's the flowering quince, it's Shanomeles. And, but if you've never grown, I call it a grandma plant. And it's a grandma plant because it's been around for a long time in a pot. It gets these sticky branches and people look at it and think, oh, that's never going to look fantastic in a garden. But it actually does. It flowers right through winter and into spring. So this plant has had these beautiful flowers on it right from May in my garden. It gets up to two metres high. It's bushy. It flowers regularly. There's still buds coming on it. You'll see these beautiful little buds on it. And after the rain, it's still got flower buds on it. Check it out, ornamental quince, it's called. It doesn't set fruit and what it sets is not really edible, it tends to drop, but a great shrub, absolutely brilliant color. Not only comes in this beautiful coral pink color, it comes in double forms and also a white flowering form as well. The ornamental quince 
is hardy, it's water-wise, it's sun-hardy, the foliage develops these dark, dark, beautiful green leaves, and it can be trimmed. And interesting, if you're into bonsai also, it's one plant that you might see some beautiful bonsai plants of. So if you're passionate about bonsai and you follow those beautiful gardens or those bonsais in Japan, some of those amazing bonsais that are up to about 300 years old, I've seen a couple of ornamental quinces as bonsais as well. And being a grandma plant, I think we need to revive it, don't you? I think it's absolutely brilliant for the garden. I always, every year when it's in my garden, I look at it and go, ah, I'm gonna plant some more of those. Just a little bit of inspiration. Another bit of inspiration that I wanted to talk to you about, citrus are flowering. If you want a plant to plant now in the garden is the lemonade tree. The lemonade is one you can peel it like an orange. It's a, it's a citrus that it's just absolutely, sorry, can you see it now? This is not the best fruit. You can tell it's growing organic fruit, but you peel it like an orange, it's sweet. It tastes like drinking a glass of fresh lemonade that has been sweetened by sugar, but natural sweetness. And this will hold on to the tree anywhere from August till probably November. And one little tip about growing citrus, the longer you leave it on the tree, the more flavour and the sweetness it actually develops. So if you first pick it and think, oh, that's sour, leave it there for two or three months or three weeks, try it again, a little bit sweeter, another four weeks, and it's the best flavour you can possibly get. So try and keep the birds off it, and it's beautiful. A few more things you can plant at this time of the year, definitely tomato time, chilies, capsicums, you can put in zucchinis, those beautiful warm climate veggies will do brilliantly at the moment with a little bit of warm warmth in the garden. You'll find it's out there this weekend. It's spring in Western Australia and I hope it's spring all around the country where you can just enjoy being in the garden and planting some plants that are gonna absolutely take off. Now let's take a few more questions quickly before we wrap up, what an inspiring group of people. What's the best ground cover for shaded areas from James? Depending what it's actually shaded by. If it's shaded by a, a tree, that's, there's a lot of competition for roots, that can be a bit tricky because many ground covers don't do so well under shade. But check out a couple. Native Violet is amazing for a shaded area. It does really well and also Dampiera diversifolia, that's another blue flowering ground cover that will do fantastic. If you're trying to grow ground covers underneath competition from tree roots, make sure you prepare the soil. James, nice big hole and prepare the soil so that you can get those roots, those competition roots out of that area and the plant can get established. If you're looking just for something green and you want to grow a plant green, not so fussed about the the uh, flowering, some of those thick ground covers, Grevillea ginger gem for me comes to mind. Doesn't flower particularly well, it needs to be grown in, in the sun and then it will spread underneath the shady areas and it will cover that area, hopefully stop some weeds. Let's head to Canberra. As I say, you've had some really chilly weather there, but Joe's asking, can I plant pumpkin seeds in Canberra right now? Yeah, you certainly can. Definitely time to plant pumpkin seeds. If you're still getting those, some of those late frosts or those cold nights, 
that we tend to get at this time of the year in Canberra. Joe, just start your pumpkin seeds off in seed raising mix in a pot, or you'll find when you've got them in a pot, you can put them somewhere where they're not as susceptible to the cold. And if anyone who's growing veggies in an area where it is particularly cold, one tip is, and you want to get, you're worried about frost, you want to get those uh, plants to survive, particularly the capsicums and the zucchinis and the chilies and the corn, but affected by those late frosts that tend to happen somewhere, just get an upside down pot, empty pot, cover them over at night and uncover them through the day. That makes a huge difference to getting them survive those frosty nights. Uh, that's, and it will give you a head start. So germinate your seeds, Joe, in the, in the potting mix, get them established, get them growing well, and you can plant them right out, right out in probably about four to six weeks time. And from Jen or Jenny, is there a way to make passion fruit grow faster? Ours have been in the ground for a few weeks and are not growing very much. Jen, you'll find that they won't be at this time of the year if you can feed them. Beginning of spring is the time to feed passion fruit. Passion fruit fruit on their new wood, and that new wood is where the flowers develop. So we want to get them growing actively at the moment. In the winter, they don't grow very much. They're a warm climate plant. So if you grow in or you live in the areas of Australia where it's nice and warm, definitely your passion fruit will just absolutely thrive. Chillier areas, it takes a little bit more to get going, a bit like us sometimes on those cold mornings. So a complete fertiliser around the root system, but not just at the root system, right along the root system. So if your passion fruit is five metres wide, feed your passion fruit five metres wide and water it in well. Time to get them growing. And before you know it, actually, two, two weeks or three weeks, they'll just absolutely shoot away brilliantly. And if you can nip the tips out as they shoot away, that's the key. Because if I nip those tips out, they'll branch out beautifully. Where there is the, the leaf, there's a dormant bud and it will thicken up and just do do so well. You'll wonder why, you know, you might have to prune it, prune it back because it will take off. Feed it now, feed it in six weeks' time. And from Grizz from Adelaide, I have a mandarin in a pot and the leaves have been curly for three weeks. I cannot see any mites or bugs and it's in full sun. I fed it three weeks ago. Any ideas? Mm, sounds a little bit suspicious that it might be might be connected to your feed, but not usually. A couple of things about mandarin trees is that any sign of stress, they will curl their leaves down. And you'll find if you've got a mandarin tree and its leaves are hanging down, not the end of the world. It's also the citrus tree out of all of them that's more affected by the cold. If the leaves are curling up and you've got marking on the back of the leaf, and damage on the back of the leaf that's affected by cold damage as well. So if you can't see any silvering, you can't see any damage from um, crinkled leaves, it's just curly, you'll find that it's just probably an effect of the environment and the plants will shoot away beautifully again. But if you fed it with a citrus fertiliser suitable for pots, that's okay. We can get that to grow well. One thing when we're growing citrus in pots, Grizz, if it's a small pot and it's only up to 30 centimetres high, make sure it's in a pot that's at least 60 centimetres and that gives the plant enough root zone to get it to grow beautifully and send out beautiful new growth. Now we've got Andrew, why would my raspberry ripple ericas die? They're seven years old. Andrew, if you've grown ericas your whole life, you might know 
Eric, they do tend to have a lifespan, but they've also got this incredibly fine root system. It's quite amazing. So depending on the soil conditions, if you tipped a Erica up that you'll look at, that you're just planting, you'll see this root system that's like spider webs, but it's really thick. A couple of things they do get to the end of their life, seven years for an Erica that hasn't been trimmed back to encourage the plant to shoot away. Sometimes that's just what happens. The other thing is make sure that water's soaking in. We talk about it often, but make sure that water is soaking in to the soil because they're very susceptible to water repellent soil because of the mass of roots that are around the root system. So wetting agent, I would say, is so important. If they've just up and died, um, pull out one root system and see, or pull one up and just see. If you prune them regularly, prune a third off every year, that will regenerate them and encourage that beautiful, re reinvigorate them is the word, to encourage some beautiful new growth to come through regularly. It's so important to get that plant, to, to not get into hardwood all the time and send out beautiful new growth. Enjoy them. I love, I love Erica's. They're just something special, that's for sure. So enjoy them, Andrew, and I hope that helps. Let's head to Trish. Trish is talking, it's the citrus trees. What's the best way to manage new lemon tree leaves that are yellow with green veins? Interesting, Trish, if you've heard our question earlier about acid-loving potting mixes, talk to Greg, heard our interview with Greg about the uh, Love My, from Love My Garden. Potting mix is, or the pH is so important. And if you've got yellow leaves with green veins, to me, that's an indicator that you've got iron, damage, iron deficiency. And iron deficiency can come up and then almost right itself. But if the soil pH is very alkaline, those nutrients that are in the soil, without getting too technical, those nutrients that are in the soil aren't available to the plant. And if they're not available to the plant, they'll show up iron deficiency. For a long-term fix, we need to improve the change the soil pH. For a short-term fix, we can use chelated iron on the foliage. Now, it's iron in a form that's been converted or changed so the plant can take it up quite easily. And that iron is so important for chlorophyll production. Chlorophyll production is what makes plants grow. So you find a plant that's showing up iron deficiency, yellow leaves with green veins, often stunts the new growth a little bit. So we need, if it's growing in a pot, we need to make sure the soil pH is slightly acid or closer to neutral. And if it's growing in the ground, mulch it with some sheet manure. You can put some dusting sulfur around it, water that in well, and lots of organic matter because organic matter tends to buffer the effects of extreme pH. That will be the long-term fix to controlling iron deficiency. But Trish, in the meantime, the Band-Aid fix, or often referred to as a Band-Aid fix, is to use chelated iron on the leaves and chelated iron over the foliage. It, you can use that for gardenias and citrus, the other plants, acid-loving plants, and also azaleas at this time of the year with that beautiful new growth that's showing up a little bit of iron deficiency. Let's head to Perth. Ken, why is my potted gardenia not flowering at all? It has lovely, healthy growth. Ken, don't worry, it's totally normal. If you've got beautiful, healthy growth at the moment, it's looking fantastic. I would say that's 95% of the battle of growing a gardenia successfully. You'll find their main flowering time or gardenia's main flowering time is in summer, 
through the warm weather. At the moment, they are developing their buds. And if your gardenia tends to show up a few bright yellow leaves, don't be alarmed because that's indicating that they're putting all their efforts into their flower buds. And gardenias in Perth, I see you're from Perth, they can grow beautifully in full sun. The brighter it is, the light, more light it is at this time of the year, tends to be more flower buds. Morning sun position is ideal. Gardenia florida, which is the bushy plant, the regular one that probably the hardiest of all the gardenias, then its main flowering time is November. You'll have November to December flowering, then they'll have secondary flowering. So that's when you prune it, and then it will have a secondary flowering after that. I must say, I'm a bit partial to gardenias. I just absolutely love them. And one plant, anyone who's listening, maybe put it in your comment section, send us a question. If you've ever grown gardenia thunbergia, if you're looking for something very different, check it out because I've got it. It's so slow growing, another very slow growing plant, but the flowers are absolutely divine. So delicate, but the perfume is delicate. It's the tree gardenia. You may have seen it, may not. Look it up because I'm sure you'll love it if you love gardenias. Oh, perfume plants are just absolutely amazing. Well, I think that's it for today's episode of The Garden Gurus Live. Thanks for joining us. I hope we've managed to inspire you to get out in the garden this weekend. Don't forget to keep watching The Garden Gurus on Sunday evening. Follow our Facebook page. Ask any comments you like. We're back. Check the local TV guide. I know it's at different times all around Australia. You can also listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on all the ways you can do it now. Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. We'll see you next week here on Facebook at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Anyone from Perth, 10 a.m., mark it in your diary. Set an alarm. We'd love for you to join us. Thanks very much. Dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade. I got my hoe. I got my rake, and I'm ready to go. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now, we know that this can be a little bit confusing, so listen carefully, folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania, we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm. And for those in WA, tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. And on Nine Life across all states, you can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5 p.m. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my speed, I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Dig in the ground.